everyone. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Bryn, and hopefully the person riding around my road on their four-wheeler does not pick up too much, and for the duration of today's episode, I guess we shall see. Story time before we get started. Halloween Deco started coming out in July. I've been shopping Halloween decorations since there was one shelf stocked in a store in July. And Kelsey and I already have a plan to go purchase more this weekend. That's the story. Remember that show on MTV called True Life? (laughs) Well, True Life, I'm addicted to Halloween decor. And luckily, but not luckily, I seem to surround myself with some friends who have the same issue. So there's that. Thank you to all the listeners who have been feeding my addiction year-round as well with all the memes, art, and Halloween buys, and the decoration inspo you sent me. Please keep that coming. I honestly love it so much. On to some recommendations for this week. I don't have anything podcast-wise because I've just been listening to the same things I always listen to. But recommendation-wise, I do have a book that I absolutely loved, and it's another Riley Sager book. It was called Final Girls, and it's definitely one of my top faves by him at the moment, along with the one I recommended a couple weeks ago. I had read a couple other books as well, but I didn't really think they were worth the recommendation, so we'll leave it at that. Show-wise, I've just been re-watching shows at night before I go to bed because I've been so busy with revamping and decluttering the house. So aside from reading and just being busy as hell, I've just been re-watching things at night that I've already seen. So I'll give the recommendation if you haven't watched it already or maybe you want to give it a rewatch like me. I've been watching Schitt's Creek and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Check those out if somehow you missed those over the last couple years and slept through or didn't exist in the 90s. Aside from that, I think that's it for the recommendations. So I will jump into the coffee recipe. This week's coffee recipe is a maple sea salt latte. It is made to be hot, but you know me and I like my cold stuff year-round and my iced lattes or iced coffees year-round. So if I were to make this coffee recipe, I would probably make it on the cold side, but that's completely up to you. For this recipe, you are going to need one tablespoon of pure maple syrup, one eighth teaspoon of fine sea salt, two shots of espresso, or I'll give an alternative option in a second, and 10 ounces of non-dairy milk. This recipe is intended to be vegan and gluten-free, but that again is up to you if you prefer regular milk. You are also going to need a milk frother. In regards to the espresso, you can replace the espresso with about a half a cup of strong coffee if you'd prefer it that way. According to this person's recommendation, just another little insert here, They said that the best non-dairy milks for frothing in her experience are Elmhurst's unsweetened cashew milk and Malk's maple pecan milk or pecan or pecan whatever. I just had this conversation with Kelsey again today. Pecan milk. Also homemade cashew milk with a ratio they said of one to four or one to five nuts to water is also great, but that's a little complex for me. I think I'd probably go with oat milk. 
almond milk or good old cashew milk. I'm assuming it just needs to be on the nuttier side. So your instructions for this recipe, once you have those ingredients, is pretty straightforward. You're going to pour the maple syrup into your mug and add the sea salt. Pour the espresso or your coffee into the mug and give it a swirl to integrate the maple syrup and salt. And then if you want this coffee on the hot side, warm your non-dairy milk in a milk frother or on the stove to about 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Pour the warmed milk over the espresso mixture and enjoy immediately. So in my case with the iced version, I would not warm the milk. I would just put it in a milk frother, pour it over the espresso mixture, and that's it. So if you give this one a try, make sure to let me know feedback. Again, it is a maple sea salt latte and or a maple sea salt iced latte. I know sometimes it can be complicated to gather the ingredients, but with this one, I feel like there's so many different alternatives you can do that the ingredients should pretty much be on hand except for the potential of not having a milk frother. So if you give it a try, again, please send it my way. Send some pics. Send me some coffee bean review on it. Let me know what you think. And hopefully next week I'll have an actual coffee to mix in there to sip on for you. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. This week's episode, I will be discussing the case of Lindy Sue Beekler. A little bit of background, Lindy Sue Beekler, whose maiden name was Little, was born January 31st, 1956 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She was born in Lancaster General Hospital. She went to Washington Elementary School and Edward Hand Junior High in her younger and middle school years. And some fun facts about Lindy. In sixth grade, she was the runner-up in her school's spelling bee. And in seventh grade, she participated in a talent show. And get this, her talent was eating an onion, which I think is very talented because I could never do that. She graduated from McCaskey High School, and she was 19 years old at the time of this story. She worked at a flower shop and lived in an apartment with her husband, Philip D. Beekler, a.k.a. Phil, in Manor Township, PA. They lived in a four-unit building at Spring Manor Apartments in a first-floor apartment on Kloss Drive. This was near Millersville, PA, and they were newly married. Phil described Lindy as, quote, extremely compassionate and unbelievably charming, which is the most adorable way for this man to describe his wife. I love that so much. December 5th, 1975, Lindy spent her day at work at the flower shop. She was tasked with tying satin ribbons around poinsettia plants, and around 5.15 p.m., she left work and made a stop at her husband's work. Lindy picked up his paycheck and then proceeded to cash the check. Before heading home, she stopped at John Hur's Village Market, which was a grocery store at the time, and bought $46 worth of groceries. She then returned home to her apartment in Spring Manor and began putting the groceries away. Around 6.30 or 7 p.m., it is believed that an intruder entered Lindy's apartment. 
The man tried to sexually assault her, and she was then stabbed a total of 19 times in her chest, back, and neck. Some sources state that she had been sexually assaulted, while others say that there was an attempt. Defensive wounds showed that Lindy had fought back. Around 8.42 p.m., Lindy's aunt and uncle arrived at the apartment to exchange recipes and found Lindy murdered. Reportedly, an 8-inch butcher knife was still left in her neck when they had found her, and her jeans were unbuttoned. And this is a quote from lawandcrime.com. Quote, Lancaster County Coroner's Office determined Beekler's manner of death to be a homicide and the cause of death to be massive blood loss due to multiple stab wounds. When discussing the scene of the crime, Manor Township Police investigated the home and this is what was found. The walls and floors were covered in blood spatter. There was also a large bloody footprint in the kitchen left behind from whoever took Lindy's life. This footprint led police to believe that the perp was likely male. There were signs of a struggle as a lamp was off an end table and on the floor, and some articles mention Lindy being stabbed by two different kitchen knives. Lindy had also been interrupted and or caught off guard. The groceries that she had brought home and been putting away remained on the kitchen table. There were no signs of forced entry, and due to this, quote, Investigators theorized that an intruder followed Beekler as she went inside or knocked on the door while she put them, meaning the groceries, away. And that was a quote from LancasterOnline.com. So moving on to the investigation, it was also speculated that Lindy could have known her murderer or could have been sought out and stalked by him. If she had known him, the no-forced entry would have also added up since she could then have willingly let him into her home. And this is another quote from LancasterOnline.com that supported either of these theories, stating, quote, Beekler had told family and friends she thought someone was watching and following her the weeks before she was killed. Police asked for any info regarding a car that had been double-parked near Spring Manor Apartments. This car would have been there between 7 and 8.40 p.m. on the night of Lindy's murder. Its headlights were reportedly on, and it was parked parallel to the sidewalk. The vehicle was described as, quote, dark-colored, standard-size American-made. The police suggested that if anything... The person driving this car could have been a witness, and I feel like that could have either been them just trying to get whoever to come forward, as we've seen before in other cases. Sometimes they'll be like, oh yeah, we just want to talk a little bit to you, see if you saw anything, but really they're trying to pull people out of the woodwork, or they were legit thinking, This could have just been someone who had seen something. Lindy's husband, Phil, was soon ruled out as a suspect, as he had been working at the time of her murder. As of December 10th, 1975, which was five days after Lindy's murder, police said that close to 100 people had already been interviewed. 
By December 16, 1975, Lancaster County District Attorney D. Richard Ekman added state police to the investigation. February 7, 1976, which was a little over two months since her death, police reported that between 250 to 300 people had been interviewed. They were doing work. They also made a statement that they felt the perp was in the Lancaster area. March 5, 1976, which was three months to the day, another murder took place and shared similar aspects with Lindy's death. Mary Shinzing, who was 43, was killed in her home in Columbia. She was also stabbed to death. Her murder was also investigated and police began to question whether the two could be related. By March 16th, a man from the same town of Columbia was charged with the death of Mary. His name was Kenneth Dale Arndt, but it was speculated that he was not involved in Lindy's death after all. There were many other incidents that followed. December 26th, 1976, which was a little over a year since Lindy's murder, her family found her gravestone vandalized which is absolutely fucking awful and traumatizing and just so evil. It had been chipped and sprayed with red paint. Apparently, it had been this way since around the end of that November. January 5th, 1977, almost two weeks later, Manor Township Police received a letter in the mail. It said, Urgent and was allegedly written by the unsub who murdered Lindy. However, police believed this letter was a hoax. Jumping ahead around six years, between October 30th, 1982 and January 4th, 1983, police weighed the thought of Gerald Eugene Stano being involved in Lindy's murder. He had claimed to have murdered at least 37 women, but according to reports, by that January, they had pretty much ruled him out. During that January, they also considered a man named Mark Capolupo, who had been charged with multiple sexual assaults in Lancaster County, but he too was also ruled out as a suspect. April 2nd, 1989, New DNA technology at the time was used to analyze a spot of dried blood preserved from the crime scene. Nothing came from this, as the sample couldn't be analyzed. Moving on to June of 1992, Detective Joseph P. Giese was assigned to Lindy's case as a county detective. His focus was to be specifically unsolved murders. In 1997, DNA evidence obtained from Lindy's underwear was submitted for analysis. It was identified as semen from a male and entered into CODIS, but no matches were found. December 6, 2000, the quote-unquote urgent letter that was received in January of 1977 was released and analyzed by a behavioral specialist from the FBI. This specialist determined that the killer most likely did not write this letter. June 16, 2006, Lindy's case was presented to the Vidoke Society. 
This is a group of crime experts that analyze and look into unsolved cases, and they act as confidential consultants. They then provide their perspectives to investigators for additional help, which is amazing. And if you go online and just type in Vidoc Society, which is V-I-D-O-C-Q Society, you can find their website where there's so much information and information on how you can become part of that society. December 3rd, 2007, a billboard was put up for Lindy by her half-brother. July 16th, 2018, so we're getting closer to now, it was reported that Lindy's husband, Phil, questioned if technology that had been used to solve a 1992 murder could also be utilized to help solve Lindy's murder. So not only was this case, even though it was unsolved and technically a cold case, not only was this case never let go by the police, which is absolutely amazing that throughout all these years, work was still being done and moves were still being made by investigators. But her husband, Phil, as well, I'm getting the chills just thinking about this, and obviously he would still want answers and justice for his wife that was so brutally taken from him, but he was still looking into things and presenting the question of, hey, if this technology was used to solve this murder, could it be used to solve hers? And I think the fact that he was coming forward with these questions and bringing potential new information or ways to solve her murder forward to investigators and just being proactive is so incredible. So props to Phil and props to the investigators throughout the years of this case. January 2019, the DA's cold case unit took over the investigation and submitted the previously mentioned male DNA to Parabon Nanolabs, aka this podcast's favorite frequent shout-out. And through this male DNA, and through this testing with Parabon Nanolabs, phenotypes were provided. September 5th, 2019, two age-progressed images of what the potential unsub could have looked like were released. These images were generated from DNA taken from the crime scene. December 2020, Parabon identified a possible person of interest using genetic genealogy analysis. So, justice for Lindy? July 18th, 2022, This was 47 years since Lindy Sue Beekler had been murdered. A man was arrested and charged for her murder. This man was named David Vincent Sinopoli. He was charged with criminal homicide and held without bail. Apparently, investigators were accurate all along in thinking the perp lived within Lancaster County. Sinopoli lived in Lancaster County his whole life. He had seemingly lived a normal, low-key life. He had been married in 1974 and had two sons before getting divorced in 1986. He remarried in 1987 and had a daughter with his new wife. 
He also worked as a press man for Steckel Printing for almost 30 years, eventually moving to another company called Yurchak Printing. In 2004, however, he was fined and sentenced to one year of probation after pleading guilty to, quote, invasion of privacy and disorderly conduct. In regards to this charge, he had been an employee at Sissy's Hair Boutique in Mount Joy, PA, and had spied on a woman naked in a tanning room. However, this had been his only charge prior to the arrest in regards to Lindy's murder. Interesting fact on how Sinopoli was arrested, according to an article from The Lineup, quote, Genetic genealogist C.C. Moore of Parabon Nanolabs put Sinopoli on the suspect list when DNA evidence from the crime scene had her determine that the killer probably had ancestors that came from the small Italian town of Gasparina. Investigators then trailed Sinopoli for months. When they spotted him discarding a coffee cup at the Philadelphia International Airport, they scooped it up for testing. They compared his DNA to the evidence found inside Beekler's underwear and found it to be a match. Thank God he threw away that coffee cup. Further info on what DNA analysis was done to narrow it down to Sinopoli. The coffee cup was collected on February 11, 2023 and sent to DNA Labs International, tested and determined to be from one male, a.k.a. Sinopoli. Then, quote, an analysis by Pittsburgh-based genetics lab Cybergenetics concluded that the DNA on Sinopoli's coffee cup and DNA identified in the semen on Beekler's underwear had a match statistic around 10 trillion, and that was a quote from lawandcrime.com. Furthermore, a blood spatter expert analyzed two spots and determined them to be a match with the DNA profile from the semen that was found. So they are just stacking up and connecting all these dots using the DNA. He had never previously been on police radar for the murder until DNA technology tied him to the crime. It was further discovered that Sinopoli had at one point lived in the same building that Lindy had been living in at the time of her murder. It was unclear and or conflicting, though, in articles whether they were both living there at the time of her murder or if they had both just lived there at some point up until her murder. One article in specific mentioned Sinopoli living there in 1974, so that would have been the year prior to her murder at some point. Apparently, the two had also attended the same high school, although not in the same grades. Aside from these overlaps and growing up in the same town, it is unclear if Lindy and Sinopoli actually had a personal connection with one another. October 17, 2022, Sinopoli waived his formal arraignment and pled not guilty to homicide. So that's kind of where this case is at. 
And as this case is ongoing and Sinopoli has yet to be formally found guilty of criminal homicide, this episode does come with a call to action. If you have any information regarding Lindy's murder or knew slash witnessed Sinopoli during the 1975 time frame, authorities are urging you to reach out. You can contact Lancaster County Detective Christopher Erb at 717-299-8100. And as always, that number and information will be provided in the show notes. Hopefully, as time progresses, there will soon be more answers and full justice for the murder of Lindy Sue Beekler. I will be sure to provide any updates for this case in a future episode of this podcast. And with that being said, thank God some answers have come forward within the 47 years since Lindy Sue's murder, and hopefully with this DNA technology and Parabon Nanolabs, among other labs, being so badass and so incredible and having such a major impact within solving these cases... Justice can be fully brought forward for Lindy and her family and friends as much as possible anyway, even though that will not bring her back. As mentioned, this has not had a conclusion, even though someone has been arrested. It's innocent until proven guilty, but with the percentages and all that stacked up genetic testing that they're doing to back their evidence, I feel like there hopefully will be a conclusion sometime soon and someone will be held accountable for her murder. With that being said, just a reminder that if you have any information regarding her murder or what they were asking for, to, again, check out the call to action, go to the show notes, and do what you can to assist in their evidence and what they can compile to bring justice forth for Lindy. This was a somewhat shorter episode this week, but had tons of information compiled chronologically. And again, thank God that Over the years, investigators stayed persistent and her case continued to be looked into. With that being said, I am going to jump into our spiel. You can find Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. That's where I post the pictures of coffee reviewed, any past coffees, past cases, important information, information pertaining to merch for the podcast. There are some mugs and tees and sweatshirts and sweatpants left over. Get them while you can. Stock up for the fall. And any of that information you can find in the highlights on the Instagram. The link tree in the bio has some of the listening platforms that this podcast is on. If you go to Facebook at Crime Colts and Coffee, that's where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action. As mentioned for the third time, you can always find the calls to action in the show notes as well. If you scroll down in the description of the episode, that's where it will be. If you have a listener story or case suggestion, please send them my way, as well as listener art. Love it, as well as, obviously, Halloween shit. 
any inspo decorations you think I would like, Halloween art you think I would like, memes, continue to send them my way. But anyway, listener story case suggestion, you can email me at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. DM me on Instagram at crimecoltsandcoffee. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, not only can you tell friends and family about it and make people aware of these cases that I cover each week, but you can also leave a rate and review. If you do so, please send me a screenshot. I will send you free stickers. And that can be done on certain listening platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, If you're not able to do so on any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. Until next week, I'm going to stock up on those Halloween decorations, or continue to anyway, especially the ones that could be used in my house year-round. I hope you do the same if you enjoy spooky season as much as I do. Do all the fun things. Make the fun coffee recipe that was suggested in today's episode. And also, if you feel inclined to do so, send some energy my way because the exhaustion is real. And I wonder if you could hear the owl hooting in the background right now. I haven't heard an owl hoot like this in what seems like years. And I honestly feel like I'm just going to sit here and enjoy listening to this owl for at least five minutes after I stop recording this episode. I'm hoping you can hear it too, but I highly doubt it because it's at brief intervals and it's not like super, super loud. Not as loud as the four-wheeler in the beginning of this podcast. But until next week, sorry I'm rambling. Thank you for listening. Bye. Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.